Bob Babbitt here, and we're at You Can Legends of Running series, and our two guests today. I'm so excited to have both of them with us. Two-time Foot Locker national champion, and uh, he held the American record at 5,000 meters, 1256-27, three-time national cross-country champion, Mr. Dathan Ritzenheim, and of course, the legend Meb Kofleski, who has won New York, won Boston, silver medal in Athens. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking time to chat. Thanks, hey, Bob. Thanks for having us. Ah, awesome to have you guys. Now, this is obviously was supposed to air on Global Running Day. Things are a little crazy in the world right now. Give me your thoughts on really what's what's happening in the world right now and, and what we need to do to get past it. It's a crazy time in the world, you know, with the COVID-19 and with the new situation also with the George Floyd in Minnesota and uh, one patch after another, you know, uh, this is a time where kindness and a genuine love for each other should be and kind of respecting the rules and obeying the rules because of social distancing and with the protesting, I'm up for protesting and in a, in a safe manner, but it's a, it's a tough time for all of us, but our prayers and thoughts are with the George Floyd and his family and whatnot. And uh, because, you know, the videos gives you just a chill and unbelievable. And, you know, to be a black American in here is, uh, you know, including myself, I've been stopped many times for no reason, including in Minnesota where I had a, got a ticket for warning, but that could have been the end of it as well. So it is really, really tough time, but I hope we can unite as uh, I think, uh, as running, as Dayton says, we always, you know, when you run against each other or with each other, you don't know what that person belief is. You just say, hey, you want to go 5K, 10K, half marathon, full marathon. And that's the beauty of running. Hopefully people can translate their energy to that and, and uh, end up police brutality eventually. Yeah, right now it's a, it's a crazy time in the world, but um, I think, you know, we're seeing all these things, all these emotions going on and, you know, there's, there's demonstrations and, uh, you know, but we're trying to drive through, I think, a lot, of, a lot of problems that have gone on forever, you know, so we're just seeing it right now, maybe a lot of people that don't feel that every day. And so I think we're trying to take it as a learning experience like anything else and try to I mean, that's what we do in running too. We try to come together. And I think I see that right now too. Like, how can we bridge the gap? How can we come together? How can we understand one another? And so as that's happening right now, you know, like I know metaphors of running, but I don't know like the plight that a lot of, a lot of people go through either. So, you know, being able to talk to other people, I think is, is going to be, that's, that's, that's huge. And so, you know, we're talking today, but the greater conversation I think is what has to happen too. So guys, you, do you remember when you guys first ran against each other, your first meeting? <laughs> hey, Dathan. <laughs> and I, I, I probably remember more than Meb because Meb was already really good by then, you know. Um, but uh, Meb, you know, I think was probably the uh, – did you run in the 2001 uh, – in the 5K at the U.S. National Championships? I don't know if you did or not. Uh, I did not. I did a 10K okay. because I was injured. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we, we ran and we ran at the, uh, the world, the trials for the world cross country championships and we made the team together and Meb, uh, that was 2002. It was for Dublin. And, uh, well, I had seen him run the year before, um, at, uh, cause I made the junior team and watching him, you know, he, uh, him and Abdi and, uh, I think Alan, no, it was Bob Kennedy was on the team. And, uh, 
so I remember watching those guys then. And then on the team next year, I was, a, I was only 19 years old, but I got to make the senior team with those guys. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was an exciting time. I mean, I think uh, Ostend in Belgium is when I saw Dayton Nuttenheim and has somebody going, that's Dayton who made the junior team. I'm like, man, he is made for running, you know? <laughs> and this is before, the, before yeah. the race and he got the bronze medal that day and just knew that he was raw talent. And for over the years, I, I see him as the, the guy the, the, like me, you know, who has the tenacity to be tough and hardworking and disciplined to be able to just get a lot out of himself. You know, we all have different talents, but the closest I could get similarity in terms of talent was Dayton and to see him what I've accomplished over the decades is amazing. You know, all the way the range from the 5k all the way to the marathon. I know. Yeah. Can't win all races, but we could definitely learn from each other and to be competing against him always me. Uh, you got to be on top of your game because <laughs> when Dayton shows up healthy, you know, even, 80% is, is a tough one to get rid of or to beat them. So, it's, uh, you know, we have mutual respect to each other. And I think, you know, you know uh, but we always made each other respect each other. But as fierce competitors as we are on, right. when the gun goes off, uh, we have mutual respect eventually. You, you guys both had really long careers. And how did you have to adapt just in terms of your training uh, to try to stay at the top of the, top of the pyramid like both of you did for so long? I, I had just a long career because I still felt like uh, Meb went so long that if I stopped any years earlier, that it looked like I got out of the game too early. So, <laughs> you were closer, yeah. Yeah, Meb, Meb was running so well for so long that it was like if you if I stopped when I was in my early 30s, it was it meant that I really gave up way too early. So um, he was an inspiration, you know. Like truthfully, like him and and I see it now. Like Abdi, just I mean, made his. Uh, Olympic team at well age was is he going to be forty five now? When once the Olympics come around, it's I mean he's going to be collecting Social Security before you know too long. But um, you know having a long career really you know I think uh, you have to love what you're doing, and that was one of the things I always saw with Ned. Never he never forgot like the little things. Like I think he still loved training, and you start to love things a little bit less, but you would he would still always do those things. He'd go and he'd grab his he'd grab his drink right away afterwards. He was doing his active isolating stretches right away afterwards. And, and so I, I never lost that either. I think all the way to the end, I, I always liked to be fit and I liked to train. And, um, and at the end of the day, the competition was just, you know, that was just validation for all the work put in, I think. And so, um, you know, you can't, you can't do it for all those years. You can't fake it if you don't love it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And Meb, for you, in terms of trying to maintain, because obviously your, your career lasted a long time, and there was a point in, you know, after with the Olympic trials in 08, that you, your career could have been over, and you, you probably had your greatest years after that. Yeah, absolutely. As Dayton alluded to, it's just, you got to have fun. You got to enjoy it. And, you know, we love competing. When we compete, we're trying to see what that hard work is going to pay off. Or, and sometimes it does pay off and other times it doesn't because, you know, you train so hard rigorously year in, year out. And sometimes it's like you hit under the ballpark, whether it's running for Dayton under American record of 5K or winning the world, we're all half marathon metal uh and things like that or sometimes you get setbacks also it's like oh but if i could only stay healthy and i can you know for you know for like he said i read his article when he retired and going to the ncaa's you know he wasn't he was going injured he wasn't even there but it makes you believe that you still got on 
80% or 75%, if I can achieve this, I can always do that. So those things keeps you going because, you know, I think you always want to look for the long-term goals, but you got to mm -hmm. be in the moment. And when, where are you at 80%? Where are you at 90%? Where are you when you're 100%? And it's a beautiful thing to know that, hey, when I'm 100%, I can beat anybody in the world. And when I'm 80%, I want to be in the top three or top five. And then that helps you set goals. And for me, I think the longevity has been doing the small thing that make a big difference from stretching to ice bath to massages to doing the drills and to eating right, you know, sleeping right. And I've been very fortunate to have your donors to be able to allow me to do that because, you know, we have to have the support system. Uh, amazingly, because we might run the races, but behind the scenes, there's a lot of, as you can see, my backdrop on the, on, on the, on the video. There's so many people that are involved and make you who you are. And we might run the 26.2 or half marathon, but so many people help you contribute to your success. You know, nobody does it alone, but we're there to support each other and encourage each other and hopefully being a good example to the next generation. So, so Dathan, when I look back, I mean, it's hard for me to believe that, you know, you won Foot Locker back in 99 and 2000. And in 2000, when you won, it was, it was Dathan Ritzenhine and Alan Webb and Ryan Hall. <laughs> I mean, like three guys like that. When you think back, well, one, who would have thought you'd still be running 20 years later. And when you think back to that race, how special was that for you to not only beat those guys, but that was to win back to back at Foot Locker. Yeah, that was great. I mean, it was, it was, uh, man, it was so long ago, it just, but it, it's, uh, it's like, it's still burned in my memory a little bit. Um, one of those moments where, you know, I got to relive a lot of that a couple of weeks ago when I retired. And, um, I don't know, it just, it made me a little nostalgic, I guess, you know, yeah. and, um, and then I was able to do a podcast with Alan and Ryan and Alan's all old and Ryan's huge. Doesn't look like anything else, you know, now. And, <laughs> and I was like, man, I ran all the way up until this, you know, a couple yeah. weeks ago and um and it just made me feel a little nostalgic but also i mean that that was like my first real uh experience with really big like they brought in um they had people that were you know uh professional runners that would come in like dina and and uh and alan culpepper you know uh, jen rines they were there at the meet and that was like my first experience really even before i I got to race against Meb, you know, like the next year and after that with the, with the U.S. Uh, Junior Cross Country Championships. That was the first experience I had with those pro runners and stuff. And so it was pretty awesome to be able to, to relive that that kind of started back then. And, and then to see Alan go on and run American record in the mile. And, uh, you know, he ran 353 in high school for the mile. And, yeah. and then Ryan went on and, and was uh, American record in the half marathon. And, he was he was training with Meb and stuff like that. It was just it's it's all cyclical. It's a small world, but it was it's pretty cool to look back twenty years. So Meb, and actually for both you guys, there was a obviously a period where American distance running was not great, and it was really and I think both of you were big believers in altitude. Uh, you know, Coach uh, Coach Larson's whole philosophy and V Hill was hey. The Africans aren't necessarily better because they're because they're Africans. They're better because they're training in groups and they're training in altitude. And Dathan, I know you've done a lot of altitude work. Mev, obviously, when Coach Larson took you guys up to Mammoth, talk a little bit about just the change in perception of American running from really 99, 2000 up through the next couple decades because the U.S. became a factor and you guys led that charge. You know, I think 
Coach Jovi Hill and Coach Bob Larson were the visionary of what, they wanted something positive for U.S. distance running. I mean, Dathan was smarter because he went to altitude for uh, for college, you know. <laughs> and I remember the first time I ever went to Mammoth, uh, I didn't go as a freshman because I want to focus on a freshman summer program class, two classes that I took. And then sophomore year I went, I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. I mean, I said, if I, why can't they move UCLA to Mammoth Lakes, you know? And, but they didn't figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of fell in love with it. And I'm like, you know, because you can, you can train hard, but smart, but also the dirt were endless. I mean, the dirt was just amazing. And for distance runners, that was a beautiful thing. And I said, if I could ever afford it by any means, I would love to move up to Mammoth. And and that opportunity provided. And Coach Larson, I remember having a talk as well. The Kenyans, the Ethiopians, Haile, Haile Selassie, Paul Turgot, you know, they're running at altitude and we should try that. And I, I remember I got, I thought I was crazy. I brought my first house in Mammoth Lakes in 2002. I said, I want to be like them. And if I'm going to compete at Ghost Guys, might as well invest, you know. And I remember calling my dad and my brother. I'm like, I'm doing something something crazy but I gotta trust it you know because <laughs> they are four, 400 miles away from my parents how uh, brother and sister so growing up with a big family was you know important to me but you gotta sacrifice you gotta be able to put that into work and Dina Castor and uh, there was Jen Ryan's was there Amy Rudolph was there and so many others Matt Downen and eventually I became a little bit Ryan Shea so it helped I think to have a trained group and then see what we can do and it's a small progress that they envisioned. They probably thought we could win 2008 and things like that. Uh, Running USA was founded in 2001, but yep. and then broke the American record in the 10K. That's when Mammoth got its attention, and then Dina broke the American record, and then eventually both of us, three years later, we became a, a Olympic medalist in the marathon, both silver and a bronze medal. And it wasn't Kenya, it wasn't Ethiopia, it wasn't anywhere else. It was two people from the United States within a mile of each other, and I think that was kind of for the young generation following like they didn't know others, it's like, well, if these guys went through NCAAs or high school yeah. and won medals, and we can do that. I think that was kind of the resurgence of U.S. distance running. And Dathan, you go along with that? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, there's a, you know, it, it's like anything. It's like a tide that happens, right? And you, you, start to, you start to move with it. And I think, you know, what Meb said is that we had, you know, I think for a long time, maybe in those nine, the period of the 90s, it was just, I don't want to say that we we were complacent, but we just we didn't know what we were doing. We just kind of floundered, right? And we thought we could be pretty good, but you know, when we wanted, you know, looking at what the East African countries were doing that were dominating running, you know, you're right. It wasn't that they were just because they were African. It was that they were training in groups. They were living a lifestyle like that. They were uh, at altitude, and all those things we started trying to. I think adopt in that period of time and mammoth, you know, team USA was really the, one of the first real uh, founding groups of that. And my, I used to train with the Hansons. They started that and it started getting these groups of people. And so we said, are, I think you look at it like, are you that much better that you can just stay at home and do your thing and be better? No, we have to, these, these guys are training so hard. They're training at altitude. They're training in groups they're living for the style, this lifestyle of running and it's not enough to just sit here and play video games and eat cereal and try to run 90 miles a week. It just doesn't cut it, you know, and those guys in that period of time, they started that. And I think me, my generation of next generation of people, Ryan and Alan and 
you know, we came right on the coattails of that period of time. And so it was like, you have to have someone pull you along, someone to show you, you know, like to help build that momentum and it created slowly. And then when Meb and Dina won medals in, in Athens and, uh, 2004. I mean, I remember it vividly, you know, like, and then it moved on the next games in 08. Uh, we were better. And then in 2012 and 2016, we've just been better and better. And, and I think now we're not, we're just not complacent anymore. We've put, it's like a, it's become a professionalized sport too, where it was before it was maybe just scattered. And so now opportunity is everything, but we, you know, we also, those, those opportunities were created, I think in that period of time, 20 years ago. Were you guys both thinking when you were in college that, okay, when I'm done with college, I'm just going to move on and become a professional runner and make my living doing that? Because that wasn't, it wasn't pretty much assumed that, okay, you're going to come out of college and you're going to make a living as a runner, right? That was, that was, you guys were part of that early generation of doing that. Um, I think for me it was 1997 when I won four NCAA titles. That kind of says maybe I could do this for a living. But uh, yeah. for me, it was academics. Make sure I get my degree was the most important thing coming from Eritrea to the United States land of opportunity. And I thought about it going pro, but then I realized one more year is not going to hurt me. And for you, Dave, when did you feel like, okay, I can make a living doing this? I think, you know, for me, when I decided, you know, I went to the University of Colorado and I think I was instantly then surrounded by other runners, you know, Adam Goucher, um, you know, Kara was just coming out mm -hmm. as a, uh, uh, out of school the year before too. And Alan Culpepper was still training in there in town. And so I started to see other runners that were pros. And so I went to college. I mean, I, I gotta say, it might sound bad, but I went to college strictly to run, you know, right. <laughs> and I got, and I got a degree because of it, you know, like, but, uh, but that was my sole goal, I think. And I guess I didn't even think about at the time that I would be able to make a living for so many years doing it. And it really looking back, it's, it's a blessing, but also, man, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm also lucky. There's so few people that get that opportunity to really make a living in the sport like that. And so to be able to do it for a long time. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I, I'm, I, I count myself very blessed. So Meb, in the after the Olympic trials in '08, you you had a hip injury that basically the next morning when the marathon was happening, when the the marathon, the regular New York City marathon for everybody else was happening, you had to crawl to the window to to see what was going on outside. Your your hip was that bad. Was there a point during that that next number of months or a year where you thought, you know what, my career could be over? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it was December, a month later that I was in San Jose and talked to my brothers and sisters about potentially retiring. But um, before I left this, the, the hotel, I remember Yordanis and I got our knees and prayed because I think she, she, she's like, I can't see it like that. I was on my knees and elbows. If I want to go to the restroom or if I want to go to get my, something from my luggage or go through the window, I was, I was crawling. There's no way I could put, uh, stand up. So I would flip, flip, you know, use my hand to flip one side of the bed to the other side. If I want to sit, I have to use my hand to lift my leg up. But I really realized I had that injury. You know, I think I was disappointed that I didn't make the Olympic team, but I was also frustrated that a good friend of mine, Ryan Shea, passed yeah. away. So I was sitting, you know, I didn't even realize that when we did the press conference, but I was sitting next to him going to the starting line, you know, and all those things kind of, you know, mentally, emotionally, and physically, I was depleted. And yeah, I thought about retiring and, 
if it was as bronze, silver medal was okay, I'm good with that. If the American record 27, 13, I'm, I'm good with that. And, but God ha I know God has something else planned for me. And I remember internally, I knew, you know, even Ryan Hall was saying, hey, I just want to be on that ticket to you to Beijing. So he knew what I was doing. He just, and he ran amazingly. And so not going to the Olympic hurt, but put life in perspective for me, you know, don't take it for granted, you know, just rehab whatever you need to do. And who knew that, you know, at that point, I said, I remember jokingly, I said, my Olympics is going to be the New York City Marathon. And honestly, when I said that, I thought it was going to be 2008 instead of 2009. But that was my goal. I said, I can't wait another four years. I want to be able to um, win, hopefully, New York. That's going to be my Olympic medal. And it took me a year and a half to do therapy. Yeah, I was scheduled for surgery. But, you know, Yordanos and Coach Larson and Dr. Van Camp, who was my mentor, asked me to do a, get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. And they thought it was abdominal tear instead of a pelvis chest fracture. So it could have gone south right away, but having second opinion and God bless uh, Dr. Louis Meheron from New York, he diagnosed it and he says, 10 weeks ago, you had pelvis chest fracture. The hip is finally fill, filling up, but he didn't, you know, he thought it was going to be a cortisone shot on my glutes. And he said, you don't need to do that. You didn't need surgery. You just need to climb off. And then been in the sport, you have to rush it to move, trying to make the obligation of Nike's contract. Uh, if you don't make the Olympics, you're going to get a pay cut. So I said, you know what? I need to come back uh, faster. And then, you know, it, it, it kind of put me, set me a setback again. I re-injured it again. But if it was just clear, say, hey, take a eight weeks, 10 weeks or 12 weeks off, and then I would have made a good comeback. And then the following, when you go to New York City Marathon 2009, right? And that no American had won there in what, 30, 30 years. You, when you end up winning that race, did you surprise yourself? No, I, I mean, I, it was always my dream to win New York and Boston. I mean, for me, you know, yes, I was disappointed I didn't go to Beijing, but for me, it was more meaningful if I could win Boston or win New York. That's what that's things that I have not accomplished. Uh, unless I win a gold, you know, winning another medal is not going to, you know, be more marketable or be able to. Uh, gave me a notoriety so when I when I won New York City Marathon I was ready I mean I ran 101 half marathon in San Jose on my by myself and I thought I was ready maybe overdone it but it's just you know you got to make it that day count and to be able to pull that victory in New York City Marathon with, with the USA jersey that was that was my personal Olympic gold medal that I never won or didn't go to Beijing to defend my title so I was you know it was a revenge time for me I'm like I'm gonna come after you and I didn't say it publicly, but internally I'm burning up. You know, I want to be able to just be, be competitive as much as I can and to have, you know, the four-time Boston champion and to have James Conboy, who was a ran a 204 something and yeah. 428, I believe. I think it was New York was the stacked field I ever assembled at that time. And to be able to win it with the USA jersey and come Central Park, China, USA, USA. I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm sure I was pointing to the flag, not where the Nike was. So it was cognitively and all that stuff. So I was proud to be able to represent our country and be able to win the victory. Uh, and after 30, I believe it was uh, 30 years, 20, yeah. 28, 27 years. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, so for, for you, uh, Ritz, when I look at 2012 year, right, it's sort of like the tale of two cities. Here you are, you go to the Olympic marathon trials in 2012, and I think it was 47 seconds separating first and fourth, right? <laughs> Meb goes 209.08, and Ryan Hall's 209.30, and then Abdi, and you were like eight seconds out of the Olympic spot, right? <laughs> it's like, there's nothing worse than getting fourth in the Olympic trials, right? So now, 
you're got to you're going to the trials for the ten thousand, and very seldom do people go from long to short. Right? You go you go from the five thousand and you trade for ten thousand. Go from the ten thousand to the marathon, but to go from the marathon and then to try to get fast enough because you didn't just have to finish first, second, third. You also had to run the A standard, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, That's a little bit of pressure, right? I, I man, twenty twelve was a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It started horrible. I mean, starting in, uh, you know, fourth at the trials, like I thought I was, you know, I, I, the, the, a lot of it had been that I had had, uh, I had had a great year in 2009, set the American record, um, bronze medal at the World Half Marathon Championships. And, and I remember, you know, thinking it was like two, it was like three weeks later was New York. And I was like, and I watched Med do it. This is like the first week back from from a break and I'm watching Meb on TV as I'm riding the bike or something like that. I was like, I just couldn't believe my mind watching him do that, you know? So I got out like right, right away after it, you know, 2010 was just, I mean, it wasn't a great year for me. I just, I, I was coming off from this high and I, I went, I made it through the year doing okay, but I had some injuries kind of going on. And then 2011, I was like, I'm going to, I was complete mess. I had two surgeries on my Achilles, one in my foot. And so um, I went from just high, 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 and, and then down to low. And then when I came into the trials, I had done everything I could in a couple of, in just those couple of months to get there. Like, I mean, I, the, the wound on my leg had barely healed about three months beforehand. Um, and so, uh, when I missed the team by eight seconds, I was just completely devastated. And, um, you know, I think that, I had started to see myself as this marathoner and this is the only track now for me. And so that it was a daunting thought for me to go back to running on the track because it had, even though my last track race had been an American record, it had been three years. And so I was starting to feel like, man, it just seems like a big ask. So I still did everything I could. I trained, I switched back. I got into spikes, which I hadn't done in years. And, it just didn't, it didn't come super easy though. You know, like it was a whole spring of grinding it out and I just didn't, ha I didn't have that standard, you know, which is so important because it had been so many years of not running on track. And that's one of the things that we used to always have to chase those standards. And we would try to get the 10 K standard a lot of times the year before, because then you didn't have to worry about it going into it that year. And I tried a couple of times, but it was just like bad things would happen. I went to one race, it was like 80 degrees, like at Hengala, which is always perfect for running a 10K. And it was horrible. And so when I lined up in, uh, at the trials in, in June in Eugene, I knew that I had to run the standard, which is going to be, it was 2740 something, or something like that. And I knew that I was going to have to push the pace because no one else is going to want to that had the standard. And sure enough, like right before, you know, it was perfect out. And I was like, okay, it's, this is, this is finally going to happen. And right minutes beforehand, it, the, like the skies opened up and it rained so hard that the steeple pit was overflowing. It was 55 degrees and <laughs> pouring rain. And I just, I remember standing there on the start line and it's just rain is just pouring down and, you know, it's dripping in your face and they're, they're introducing people. And I was like, this can't get any harder. This is just crazy, you know? And, so I was just super overwhelmed when I, when I made that team crossing the finish line was very, very uh, emotional for me. And so to make that team after the disappointment of the two years before was, was huge. And, and so I went to the Olympics and it was fine, you know, but like, I didn't, I didn't compete great, but 
I still had that thing in the, yeah, that marathon in the back of my head. And, um, I, I had ran okay. I just hadn't hit it yet. And so I took that speed from the track and finally I was healthy for a whole year. That was one of the things that was very big going into the 2012, uh, Chicago marathon for me is I just had never been healthy for more than three or four months for, you know, like that. And, and going into a marathon, it was like, I could run 120 miles a week, but you still have to run off from the six months before that. And so I had that finally going in and, and I ran 207, 47. And it was, I mean, it was just like, I mean, I was like that too, like just like radar lock on that day. Tunnel vision. Yeah. You were, you were there. That's so cool. Hey, and so for Meb, uh, when we go into uh, something similar to what we're dealing with now with tragedy, when you've got a tragedy, like what happened at Boston in 2013 and people died and there's bombings in the street and you know we're our sport is all about love and caring and and just getting the best out of yourself and challenging yourself you were there at the finish line in 2013 and it seems like at that point you pretty much vowed that you were going to be coming back and racing because I think people some people were scared to come back in 2014 to Boston what was your mindset going into that race yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Dayton making that Olympic team was pretty exciting. I was in the stand and, and to be in Eugene, who knew everything that was going on, who was pretty thrilled for you, <laughs> yeah, uh, including myself. But yeah, I think setbacks are part of life. I think injuries are part of sport and disappointment are part of life. And, uh, and uh, we are going through it right now. And I think in 2013 Boston Marathon, I was signed up and you know, by finishing fourth at the Olympic Games in 2012 London that allowed me to be invited to the Boston Marathon and you know we're excited and you know uh, Abdi Abdurrahman and Ryan Hall and myself were entered but we all felt injured and we was crashed from the race and I'm like well we need an American up there just to, to run hard even if it means 10 miles but don't let the emotion text you and you, you know try to control it try to be patient and that red day I, I ran a few miles and I don't get to see my fellow runners at the finish line. I usually do drug testing or media obligation, but that day I'm like, let me just get the grandstand. So I went inside and watched the race, you know, from the wheelchairs to the men and women finish. And I remember sending a text to Ryan Hall, I think 210.03 or something wanted. And I said, we can do this. And he said he was flying that day. So we'll get after or something. And eventually after had an appointment. That's why I, I left the stand because I was had I wanted to watch the runners. I have people run for the foundation, and then uh, um, I left eight minute ten, ten eight minute five minute before the bombing happened, and I left my brother Howie there and went to the Fairmont Copley. And next thing I know is I was walking the lobby. Somebody from John Hancock got a radio in that said there's a bombing. I'm like, how can it be? There's no way. And I remember just throwing the f bomb and stopped crying. And you felt helpless. You know, there's nothing. Right. How can it be possible? And but that afternoon, I remember Bonnie Ford from ESPN asked me that evening. She says, Meb, are you scared to come back or are you not going to have your kids and wife and things like that? I said, Bonnie, I remember telling her, I hope to be healthy enough to win it for the people. That was my mission. My mindset was like, we got to get back at this. And so that's 36,000 other people wanted to do that. They wanted to change something that showed resilience and perseverance and, you know, not give up because something does it wrong doesn't mean the whole thing should be shut down and whatnot. So we had uh, over 365 to think about it. And, you know, Boston was Boston strong. And, you know, when the Red Sox wanted, put the trophy at the finish line. And I remember telling my massage person, uh, I was going to massage that moment. I said, uh, Gary Ackman, I said, I want to do that for runners on Patriots Day, you know. So you have those dialogue, you keep saying it, you keep saying it. And God 
God willing, it happened, you know, and the race unfolded on April 21st, 2014. And I was two weeks shy of my 39th birthday. Uh, I was the 15th guy in the field and, and the expert had me less than one person chance of winning, but you got to believe in yourself, your team and your training. And I did that. And I went to Mammoth Lakes away from family for about three and a half, four weeks. And I knew I was ready. And now we just got to be 90% mental. Got to be the, are you willing to hurt a little more than others? And, you know, when the race unfolded, I went for it. And, you know, you see the motion is like, I mean, it's like a Tour de France. So people were out, they were supporting, they were chanting USA, they were doing the waves and, but you got to hold your composure. And I don't remember going through the like tunnel vision or being focused. I don't remember going through the halfway point at all. I don't. And, you know, it's Wesley College where there's a lot of ladies yeah. and all that stuff. I don't remember it. <laughs> you don't remember any of that. I remember any of it. I was just <laughs> so focused. And, you know, and then about six, having done the Boston Marathon, I knew where I was and I wanted to be by myself. So Joseph, our boy, was running with me. And about 15 miles into it, I, I, I threw a fast one. And after that, I was just kind of wearing wash going up and down. And I was within myself. I, Boston is point to point and he can't see. There's not a lot of turns. You just hope that nobody catches you. And with 5K left in the race, I looked, looked something to my right, and I said, there's an orange shirt. I don't know who it is and, and what credential he, he has. So I'm like, well, don't, don't slow down now, because if he slows down, he's going to have the mental edge to try to maintain the gap, trying to extend the gap. And I know people say, how much, why do you look back so much? But I was trying to measure that yeah. that gap, whether it's getting closer or not. So And coming to with one mile to go, that circle sign couldn't come fast enough. I've been looking for that forever. And uh, I knew that at that point, I'm like, if he was feeling good, he should have been with me, but he must be hurting. So I'm, I'm willing to dig a little more deeper. And I remember I had the victim's name on my bib and I just said, give me your energy, give me your strength, give me, push me forward, push me forward. And with 1K to go on the overpass, I remember why do they have to have this sign? Because he's going to think if he's a Kenyan or Ethiopian, he's going to take three minute pain. He's going he's gonna to put the hammer down, three minute pain. I said, well, Lean forward, just make the small details make a big change. Lean forward, chin down, and up. when you go up, quick feet, arm action. And there was a, finally a turn on Hartford. And I said, well, now he can't see you. Just try to sprint as hard as he can, make the gap look bigger, and hopefully he'll give up. And then going on both, and I crashed myself. I said, well, I know it's going to look like the finish line's right there, but I know for a fact it's like 600 meters away. So <laughs> Long way. don't celebrate. Don't, don't pull a hamstring. Keep, keep, uh, keep, keep. If you pick up, the police going to pick up. If you slow down, they're going to slow down. So, but it was a thrill of a lifetime to chant USA, USA going down and do the cross where the bombing happened. And, you know, it's, you don't plan for those moments, but, you know, I just feel blessed that God gave me the strength to be able to come to that finish line and with, 36,000 people want to do the same thing. I've just been the first one to lead them to the finish line. And, and the, the, being in an Olympic silver medalist and winning New York, but this was different because this is something, the bombing affected everybody, right? You got Barack Obama isn't normally tweeting about Meb Kofleski. Now he is, right? How did that change your life? Just that, that win, that moment. Oh, I mean, it's the most meaningful victory in my life. I mean, you always want it. It says in high school, college, Olympic dreams, to win in silver and whatnot, or New York, your own personal gratification. But the Boston Marathon, I mean, that was the pinnacle of what happened the year before. And, you know, it changed my life. And I remember, you know, Howie's the guy at the White House who was trying to get hold of Howie and United States Track and Field, United States Olympic Committee. And, 
So he's like, we're doing so many phone calls or FaceTime and things like that. And then the phone came, it's like the stop call and it was gonna be unknown number from eight to 12. The White House uh, is gonna get a call and he, come, he gave me the phone. We trying to do FaceTime. We should have recorded it by FaceTime with Canadian channel TV, but he gave me the phone and I'm like, what I say, what I say? And I'm like, hello, Mr. President, how are you? And he's like, oh, <laughs> fine, I'm fine, you know? <laughs> it was so funny. And, and uh, actually with the Air Force One, he goes, my speak my let's get this is the commander of Air Force One. He was on the flight. And I'm like, yes, this is him. And he's like, well, I'm gonna transfer it to the President of the United States. I'm like, okay, thank you. And then, like, <laughs> hello, Mr. President, how are you? And he said, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he goes, well, I wanted to call you to say congratulations on job well done. You know, you made us all proud. And then I'm like, well, Mr. President, I was there in 2013. It means so much to me that you call him, but I also had a personal commitment that I want to do something for, for our country. And, and, yeah. and, you know, you hear about the politician being a politician, but, and he said, you're going to be, we'll be in touch. I'm like, uh, yeah, right. You're going to never hear from you. But he is a man of his words because he invited, on August 5th, I remember, he invited myself and a guest, which I took my wife to the White House for dinner and with the U.S. and Africa. And leader summit and to have president jimmy carter there and to have robert de niro and many others great leaders there wow. and to have a dinner there with and seeing them dancing and things like that with first lady michelle obama it was pretty cool that's so cool of a lifetime hey so uh, dathan when i look at your career just the 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 variety or just the 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 range from being able to you know go you know 1256 for five thousand to uh, I mean, yeah, 1256 for 5,000 and 20747 for marathon and 60 for uh, the half. It's your variety, your, your range is pretty amazing. When you look back at your career, is there one race that sticks out and you look at it and go, that was the best I've ever been? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess, you know, those moments don't often come together, you know, like where everything is like, you're the best. And right. that happens on that day, you know, and, you know, like when Med ran, when Med won, you know, 2014, won Boston, that's probably like emotionally the most, the biggest event, you know, in running, you know, like from Ever. professional run. no, no yeah. doubt about it. Like emotionally, yep. you know, but he probably, I mean, he was really good. Don't get me wrong, but he might've been physically better at other times. He just, sometimes it doesn't come together exactly like, like everything on the spot, right? The race goes perfect. Your fitness is perfect. You're healthy. Right. And sometimes you just, you do well despite those things. But for me, when I broke the American record, I could not possibly run faster than I ever, than I did then. Like that was the fastest I could possibly run. Perfect race. I was just, every splits were perfect. Weather was perfect. I was fit. I was healthy. I was motivated and on fire. And, and that was one of those days where, I, I, I'm sure I could have ran faster at my distances higher, you know, like a 10 K and, you know, but I never had the chance. I never did. You know, I didn't have those really good opportunities. And even the half marathon, when I, when I won that bronze medal at the world half marathon championships, I mean, I was fitter than that. I could have ran faster than that. It's just the race. It was a championship race, you know, like, but that race, when I ran 1256, I just remember like that. I mean, every, I got every ounce of myself, you know, out of, out of that moment and everything, like the cards laid down perfect. And so Love it. that was one of those, one of those ones where I was like, I just remember euphoric afterwards, like doing my cool down by myself in Zurich on this little field and everybody's gone and it's dark and you're just there with, it was very, you know, you go from this 
stadium where people are it's crazy it's pandemonium and then an hour or two later you go through you know your media and drug testing and my family's there and all the other buses are gone and it's just me running on this little field that's lit up at night and I just couldn't believe what had just happened and that was that was a moment like personally for me that like a personal self-reflection moment that I was like I got everything I could have out of myself that day it was it was almost perfect Love it. And Dathan, when did you find you can in terms of uh, helping you with your recovery and nutrition? About four, four or five years too late. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's Med's secret yeah. weapon, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Med kept it secret for so long. And uh, <laughs> I, I actually, you know, I could have been that first, you know, the first person to use you can uh, successfully and beat Med at 2009 at the New York City Marathon if I had taken, <laughs> you know, taken the advice at the time. But um, we had a we had a, um, uh, a sports physiologist that helped uh, Krista Austin. She helped with UCAN in the early years, especially, and um, and so she had helped Med. And and uh, I remember sitting down with her after my marathon in, in London in 2009, and and Med had ran that race too. And he just he wasn't even that fit. He was just coming back, you know, from his all the problem with his yeah. back and stuff like that. And that was like the stepping stone to him you know, winning New York, really, like, it was just, it was a marathon to get back, you know, like, and he ran solid, and he ran good, but he, I mean, he just pulled away from me at the end, and I, I was, I was sitting there talking to her a couple of weeks later, and, and I was like, and she's like, there's this new company, you know, like, Meb's, Meb's been using it, you know, and stuff, and I was like, okay, and I tried it, and I was like, ah, I, don't, I don't know, I just, you know, I'll just keep doing what I was doing, and and Meb went, went and won uh, New York like six months later. And I was like, oh, okay. But I went back to doing all the tracks, you know, the track stuff and things. And so I didn't really use it again until about 2014. Same person, Krista, was uh, helping me. I was coming back from some some problems. I had a back, uh, like a sacral injury, like a, a stress fracture in the, in 2014. And uh and I was coming back from that. I had some overtraining. I was just, I was like a mess. I just like, I couldn't get back going. And, and so I started, uh, I was out at the um, Olympic training center in, um, in Colorado Springs and they sent a bunch of the stuff. I started using it and I just spent tons of time. Like I would do like three hour long workouts where I just trying to become metabolically more efficient. And I was using it then I used it all through the winter. And then when I came to, the um the boston marathon in 2015 i was really nervous because i had done all that other stuff but i really hadn't ran a whole lot i i i had never ran over i hadn't ran over 100 miles a week um and like in in like three years two years at that point i think it was two years at that point and i was like well i've averaged like 80 miles a week for the last four or five months so that's not very good so i didn't i didn't know what to expect but i had been using it and I've been supplementing with some uh, cross training and stuff too, but I had, I had amazing uh, long runs going into it. And so even though I didn't have the volume, my long runs were really good. And so it was something that I started using through there. And I actually, I mean, I remember it was a horrible day that day. It was, you know, it was 2011. It was one of those 20 mile an hour headwinds and cold and I finished really well. I felt great. And I was like, I've been, I've been using it since. And so That's it's been great. great. And Mev, your secret weapon, you can. When did you discover it? Well, first, I'd like to apologize to Dathan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was introduced to it right away in 2009. And uh, mm -hmm. Howie and Shoba and Peter had dinner. And 
we kind of introduced you can and it was still a little bit not the label that i had it was a packet and but i want to make sure it was legit and uh, they were nca nca and you saw approved and all that so it was fine and uh, but i think when i won new york i was doing a lot of more appearances and not running much uh so i was using the protein uh, chocolate flavor whenever i was traveling and kept me leaner and also make me come back faster recover and I think I fell in love with it. I think that you can, uh, the new generation is X generation and whatnot. This is the mentality. I, uh, you can do anything you want. And after winning New York, it was just, uh, you know, I, I got introduced to it. And ever since the first thing that was done to my, into my body, into my system, after, you know, intervals, tempo, long runs, and, or when I'm traveling, getting stuck uh, on a plane or whatnot, if the runways and you can have it. It's always, it's been my secret weapon for many years. And, I think it's a great product, and but I am known for the athletic uh, athletic part of it. But Jonah Fettelman is a uh, the Jonah who was discovered yeah. for him. I mean, it was uh, kept him alive. Kept him alive. His parents used to wake him up every two three hours, and it wasn't meant to be for athletes. It was more for survival and uh, and keep him alive. And you know, uh, and I met him. I met the family and got to know them. And went to Connecticut. I had a, a meeting with the family and local local runner so it was just a getting to know more of a family oriented and shoba uh the ceo has done an amazing job with the with the company to uh, organic slowly but surely growth and and and, you know and it's been an amazing product and i feel blessed to be part of their team love it hey guys thank you so much for taking time this has been really really fun to chat with two legends dathan rittenheim meb kafleski our legends of running thank you guys for taking so much time you're the best Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Good to see you again. Again, Bob Babbitt signing off. This is our UCAN uh, Legends of Running. Have a great day, everybody.